1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. John read beginning in verse 12. He read from verse 12 through verse 19. And I'd like us to read together. Uh, starting in First uh, Peter chapter 4, we're going to read beginning in verse 1. You can follow along as I read aloud. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. For as much then... As Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. For if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth Upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the righteous scarcely be saved, 
Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Our Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, more and more and more we are learning just how capable your word is all by itself. Lord, bless us this morning as we would look into your word, Lord, as we would uh, uh, consider what we have before us here at the end of chapter 4. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to lay hold of what it is that you're asking us to do in the age in which we live, realizing that we are indeed living in these last days, Lord. Uh, the nation in which we live seems to have lost its moorings, Lord. It appears that there is a, a, a strong race almost into wickedness around the world. And Lord, while doing this, they call it good. Would you help us, Father, that we would walk in the light, that we would have this love that you speak to us here about, that we would be able to suffer the way you'd have us to suffer with the right heart attitude. Lord, you make it very clear here that in the same way that they didn't want to hear what you had to say, Lord, that they're not going to now want to hear what you have to say. And yet, Father, you ask us to be the kind of children that you'd have us to be, and so we ask you to show us, show us now from thy word and then bless us, Father, by thy own power. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is a great deal um, in this passage, obviously. I wanted to read uh, chapter 4 in its context because I didn't want uh, simply to um, start in where I believe we're going to look together today, starting in the word beloved in chapter uh, 4 verse 12, but I wanted you to see it um, in, its, in its place. And again, I guess we should, maybe we should take a minute and run back a little bit and get back into chapter 1. And as you get back into chapter 1, we recognize that we have everything that God wants us to have is perfectly, wonderfully secured for us. And we're living here now in the promise that soon this will all be over. But while we're here now, there is a suffering that is going to be the reality of our everyday life because of where we are in the world that we are in. And not just that, because of the way that we are. And since we are like everybody around us, there will be failure, there will be hurting, there will be even selfishness. And as a, resu as a result of these truths, there will be continual suffering in our lives. But God wants us to understand that the purpose, the purpose behind this suffering is not um, to make us ready for heaven. It's not, in other words, it's not to perfect us. It really, and this is so important, that the people around us would see the difference, that they would see the change. This is not something that I can do, and nor is it something that you can do, but it is something that God in us not only can do, but wills to do. And because he wills to do this, this is meant to be the everyday life of our life now. While we, you know, again, we don't have time to go through all of this. It, it says, it tell, I just want you to see this. Let's go back, just because I want you to be able to see that I'm not just making words. Go back to chapter 1, and we'll just, get, just, we'll just look at a little bit of it, kind of a thumbnail sketch on the way through. Let's just verse, start in verse 3. How, how strange that we have to go about so far back. But we really need to see it in the context, right? Especially since uh, there's a lot of commas and semicolons. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? According to his abundant mercy, we have this. Earlier today, we were sitting uh, in the back. We, you know, we have prayer on Sunday mornings back in the same room that the choir uses, I believe, before they come in. And there's just a few of us in there. And um, I, I, I suppose it's because of what I knew we were going to be looking at today. And John made reference to the uh, chapter, that I, uh, chapter 14 in Revelation. And I have some understanding of that in my mind as we were getting ready to pray. And I was thinking about this. We met in a little room, just a few of us, just a handful of us, right, to pray. And if the Shekinah glory came down on that little room where we were sitting, and you could see it from the parking lot, and you could see it from the north parking lot, and you could see it from Military Highway, and you could see it from Campostella Road, people would probably stop and find out what is going on. There's this huge, powerful cloud and fire, and yet the building is not consumed by it. What is going on? And here's the thing, because see what we were doing is we were going boldly to the throne of grace, right? We were going boldly to the where? To the mercy seat. And, 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 and when the mercy seat went with Israel throughout their wanderings, as they were living here on this earth, and they were going where they were going, the glory of God came down always upon this place. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit together this morning, but for some reason I was thinking about it this morning, I, my prayer life is very weak for someone who's going to the place where the Shekinah glory is. I don't know about your prayer life. Do you understand? Ever, are, you aware, are you aware of just how little you trust the God who tells us that we can come boldly to that throne of grace? And yet... I hear your prayer lives. We pray together. So often our prayer lives are almost as if we're having to convince God of the need here or the need there or explain to him the difficulty of what is going on instead of recognizing, I'm talking to the God of the universe. I'm talking to the God, literally the God of glory. And this is what God wants us to be able to see together. So by his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, this is such a wonderful truth, I almost want to go back and preach this all over again, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I think, my, I think the thing that I'm probably most excited about, about my salvation, is the part of my salvation that matters most, the eternity of my salvation, the fact that it will never be able to be removed or taken away, the fact that it's kept for me. Yes? Right? Again, I don't know how to express, you know, uh, a trust fund. A trust fund may be the, the best way to explain this. When you set a trust fund up, you know, grandparents set a trust fund up for their grandchildren. Their grandchildren are six, and they're going to give them $350,000. And they don't give their six-year-old grandchild $350,000. They do what with it? They put it in an, in an inaccessible place. It's theirs, but not today. Otherwise, they'd have a lot of Lego toys, Right? Right? Because what we would do, were we able to touch the things that matter most to us, because of, we are so much like children, because we are, we would ruin them. We would abuse them, and they would be destroyed. 
But this is what it says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, what? Reserved in heaven for you. And then it talks about us who are kept by the power of God. So, you know, um, I, had a, I met with someone yesterday and I was just talking to this person and I just said, I hope you can just get lost in how good God is. I hope you can just get lost in how great your Savior is. Um, Somebody said something this morning about singing. Was John, was it you in Sunday school? It's so funny, because I, I, I made such a point of this yesterday as I was having this conversation. If you don't have a time in your devotions, if you don't have a time in your daily life where you're just, and again, I can't sing. I, I sing as well as John does, I guess, probably. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. He stands over here. He doesn't sing very loud. I sing pretty loud standing over here. You know, uh, was it Marcy saying something about, she was in the nursery at one point, and, and, and my microphone was not playing through the speakers, but it was on. And so she got to listen to me singing, you know. And I thought, oh, how tragic that is for everybody. <laughs> Honestly, amen? But when I'm alone, if you think I sing loud in here, you should be around me when I'm alone. And, and, and I believe that what God wants us to have is an understanding that we are kept by the power of God that the God that saved me loves me, will never leave me nor forsake me, that he is worthy, that he is, that he is wonderful. Now listen, that all of the things that we're going through, and we are going through them, I appreciate what John was saying in Sunday school class this morning, God never pretends that living here on this earth is going to be easy after you're saved. There's a health and wealth and prosperity gospel that's preached in America that does pretend that that's true, but it's not true. The truth of the matter is, if you're going to walk with God, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's persecution for walking with God, but just living around each other is going to bring continual difficulties into our lives, and ironically, we will bring them into each other's lives. That's what happens. But God wants to give us victory. That's what we're going to see together today. God wants us to, to give us victory over all of that. That's what God wants for us. Now, we keep reading. It says this. <clears throat> Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Amen. And whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This is what God has for us. We see, we don't have time to look at it, but if you just turn to chapter 2, Go to verse 11. Mark these things in your Bible. Starting in chapter 2, verse 11, God makes it clear that while we're living here as pilgrims, right, in this place where we're living, our conversation being honest among the Gentiles, it says in verse 12, recognizing that we're going to be submitting ourselves under the ordinance of every man. So the society in which we live, this begins with the society in which we live, the civilization where you live, the city where you live, the neighborhood where you live, the street you live on, what God is saying is where you live your daily life where your house is located, wherever you're living, there will be difficulty. That's what God is saying. Now, when you go from there and you go on to chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 18, right? 2, verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. What we see here is this, when you go to work. 
So where you live, there's going to be difficulty. Where you go to work, there's going to be difficulty. God makes this very, very clear. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Again, I don't have time to go through all of this, but I want you to see it. I want you to see how we got to where we are in chapter 4. That's what we're doing. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Wives that have unsaved husbands. Husbands that have unsaved wives. It may be difficult to live in a difficult society. It may be worse to go to work at a difficult place, but it's got to be worse to come home to a difficult place. And God is able, that's what he's saying. In the midst of these trials, in the midst of these circumstances, our God is able to overcome all of this difficulty. And then finally, it comes, to, and it says finally in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, and where you go to church, right? And where you go to church. Look up here for just a moment. Here's the thing. No matter where you live, no matter where you work, no matter what it's like at your house right now, you ought to be able to come to church and we ought to be able to just worship Jesus. We ought to be able to love one another. We ought to be able to be kind to one another. Nobody should ever get hurt going to church. But that's not true. It would be if you weren't a jerk, right? You can insert name of whoever you want to insert there, right? Um, I think about the, I, I think about uh, I think the greatest victory in my life since I've been a pastor is my desire to not hurt anybody. See, when I first became a pastor, I wanted to be right. I wanted to be helpful to people. And sometimes you've got to hurt people, you know, because they're, they're just wrong, right? And people are wrong. Whether you believe it or not, you're wrong sometimes. But what I realize is this. Jesus is able to minister in my life when I'm wrong and speak to me honestly without any malice, without any selfishness, and without any hurt. Do you understand? In other words, I need to hear him say things to me that I need him to say to me, but I know he loves me above all things when he's speaking to me. And this is, what, this is what it should be like. But in the context of what we're looking at, what God is saying to us is this. Where you live is going to be hard. Where you work is going to be hard. Going home may be hard. And going to church may not be all that it ought to be. But... I am able to overcome all of these things. You can suffer in these things. Now listen, because of my power, you can still live a life of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. And that's what people need to be able to see, right? Look, all of us understand the idea of a, of a stage actor. Now here's the thing. We spend a great deal of money now. Hollywood spends a great deal of money now in um, makeup right? And in, uh, I mean, everything. Now they can just do CGI. But they do it. They spend a great deal of money in makeup. Do you realize that at the time that the word hypocrite came out, that there were, nobody wore makeup. They just, I don't have anything to do to, to be able to do this. They just held up little masks, right? Yes? You're supposed to be the villain. You just came out and did your lines with a little villain mask, right? And then later you might be playing the gardener and you come out with the gardener mask. And so, but the idea is this. The idea behind hypocrite is literally somebody who walks around holding a mask in front of them. And see, God does not want us to come to church and hold a mask in front of us. God doesn't want us to come here and pretend to be anything. Listen to me. Please hear me. This is so critically important. Church is not how well can you behave at 11 o'clock in the morning. Going to church is not about that. The question is this. Is Jesus changing you or not? Is the power of God changing you or not? If it isn't, something's wrong with you. Because it is God's will, it, through the blood of Christ, through the love that he can now show us, through the Holy Ghost that has been given to us, to be able to change all of us. 
And all I have to do is humble myself and say, change me. Change me. This is the victory that God is talking about here. This is what God is showing us throughout all of 1 Peter. This is what God wants us to be able to see, that if we're going to live this way, it is not going to be easy, but it is going to be normal, and it is going to be powerful, and there is glory in it. And that's what I want you to see together this morning, is the glory that is in this. So let's go to chapter 4, verse 12. We'll only be here for a few minutes, I say that. Chapter 4, verse 12. So here's what it says, beloved, right? Now, again, if you go back, I know I did this before, but it's important, I think, sometimes to repeat yourself. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 11, it says, dearly beloved. If you go to chapter 4, verse, um, I just lost my place, verse 12. So chapter 2, verse 11, dearly beloved. Chapter 4, verse 12, beloved. The point is, we're continuing the same thing we've been talking about. Here's the problem with Sunday morning sermons. I have to preach a passage at a time or a chapter at a time or whatever it is. I cannot preach every single Sunday all of the context up to where we are right now. But you should study your Bible that way. You should read your Bible not two or three verses at a time. You should read your Bible as a book. In other words, if you're reading 1 Peter, read 1 Peter. Just, just be saturated with what the Word of God says. If you're studying it, bite, it, bite, off, bite off little pieces. But when you're reading it, read it in its context. Read it in its entirety so that you can say, oh, well, this is very simple. This is the same thing. I mean, we're talking for like, now, by the way, when you write letters to each other, when we write letters, nobody writes letters anymore, right? When I was younger and, and we wrote letters to each other, they were pages long, right? These are just a couple of pages. If you look at how much actual paper is being used in 1 Peter, it's not much at all. And when we would write letters to each other, we would read the whole letter, right? And nobody's, nobody's, you know, you get a letter from your wife or your girlfriend and you say, you know what, I think I'm going to read page four, the third paragraph today, right? That's not how you read it. You read the whole thing because it all went together. Well, so does the word of God. So here in chapter four, verse 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. He just got done telling us everywhere that you live, there will be difficulty. And here's what he says, beloved, think it not strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which, by the way, look at the next words. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which what is. In my Bible, I have two lines under it and a box around it. Because here's what I'd like to do. I would like it to say may. Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your life had fiery trials that may come into your life? But there aren't fiery trials that may come into your life. There are fiery trials that will come into your life. And this is what he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now you can either put the emphasis on strange thing or you. But here's the point. The difficulty that Jim Bradley's going through, guess what? He's not the only one going through it. Do you understand? Satan and your flesh love to tell you nobody knows the difficulty you're going through. And here's what God said, Everybody knows the difficulty you're going through. And here's how they know it. First hand. Not through the hearing of the ear. Oh, I heard brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so going through a difficult time. All of us are going through a difficult time. Not always at the same time. Praise God for that. Because now, here's the whole point of assembling together, right? Kenny, are you having a good day? Kenny's got a, got a cold or something like that, right? right? Kenny's got a cold. I went to shake his hand today and he gave me the elbow, right? He said, here you go, I'll give you my elbow. 
If Kenny's having a good day, so I mean this with all my heart, Kenny's having a good day. We have the Thursday night men's meeting. Thursday night men's meeting have somewhere between, I don't know, it's got a good number, double-digit number, a double-digit number of men gathered together. Any Thursday night, everybody's not having a great week. But somebody usually is. Do you understand? Right? And here's the thing. We get together and strengthen one another. This is the, hear me, this is the whole point of why we shouldn't hurt each other. Because I'm already hurting. Do you understand? I didn't come to church to get your selfishness. I came to church to be helped. I came to church because I need the goodness of God. Or maybe I came to church to rejoice in the goodness of God. Maybe I'm here this morning and I just want to, you know, boy, I love the days when, you, when you're able to come, when I'm able to come. I love the days when you're able to come, you're able to be here in the house of God, and all you want to do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, right? And you can share that with each other, and that can rub off on each other. So what God is saying is this. There is fiery trial. We are going through this fiery trial. It's not a strange thing. Everybody is going through this, but rejoice. Now, this is important. But rejoice in so much, in as much, excuse me, as ye are partakers of Christ. And here's the thing, underline this, sufferings. It is suffering, and we are going through it. But we are partakers not of just our own suffering. We are sharing the suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ himself has had. That, now here's the thing, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be, excuse me, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Here's what's going on. I want to draw your attention to this glory. You see this fact that if we live through the difficulties that are coming in our life and trust our Lord during the time that we're going through these difficulties, then what we have is this. We have an understanding that in a little while, he's going to come. And there's going to be great glory. John, uh, in, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, we're looking at this morning. In a little while, he's going to, listen, this is so wonderful. And there's going to be great glory. And we're going to be glad when we see him. And we will realize that this day, the things, the difficulties that I went through this day, they're not, they're not worthy to be compared with that glory. They don't even come close. And, and listen, and I mean this, this is, maybe this is the only thing you'll hear today. Do you want to fail today? when somebody could have seen the glory of God in your life today. Listen to me, not your glory. Nobody thinks you're good. If you think somebody thinks you're good, you really don't understand you very well, okay? Nobody thinks you're good. Nobody thinks you're great. Nobody thinks you're better than other people. Nobody came here today to find out whether so-and-so is a better person than so-and-so. That's not what God is about. But here's the thing, when, God, when people see victory in your life, when people see um, terrible things going on in your life and they see you actually truly rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory, they say this, how? How is that true? And your honest answer is, Jesus is how that is true. Jesus is how that is true. Yes? Now here's the thing. I mean, now we could have an invitation in a sense right now. How, but we can, and I can ask you this question honestly. How many of you are aware that your failure has hurt someone else when it could have helped them instead? Anybody want to acknowledge that? My failure has hurt somebody. Yeah, okay. But here's the good news. Doesn't have to, we don't have to live like that every day. 
It's not meant to be what our normal Christian life is like. This is what God is saying. He, what he's saying is this. We can rejoice in the fiery trial because we can rejoice in the God who's able to overcome not the fiery trial, but my failure in the fiery trial. Do you understand? Here's the thing. We believe, somehow we believe that the power of God is to remove the trial. He brought the trial. Do you understand? God, the power of God is not to remove. God is not responding to the fiery trial. And you say, Lord, I'm in a fiery trial. Please show your power by getting me out of the fiery trial. This is what he says. No, no, no. Let me show my power by giving you victory in the fiery trial. Amen? By giving you joy, by giving you love, by giving you selflessness in the fiery trial. This is what he's saying. And he says this this way. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered like this. And the same spirit that he had, he gave us, right? It is expedient for you that I go away. I must leave everybody because when I go, I'm going to send the spirit, right? The Holy Ghost is going to come. He's going to give, live in you, and it's going to be a power, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come unto you, and you shall be what? Witnesses unto me. That's what we're looking at right here. That's what we're looking at. By the way, in verse 14, it says this, if ye be reproached for the spirit, for the, excuse me, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. And this is what it says, look at this, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. I'd like you to turn back in your Bible, if you would, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. This spirit of glory and of God Exodus 33. Here's what's happening. In Exodus chapter 33, God has already brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He has already brought them across the Red Sea. He's already brought them to Sinai. He's, and this is what he said to them in chapter 33. This is what he said to them. Well, look, this is what you can say. Go, back to, go, down, go to verse 5. <clears throat> And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Right? Because here's what he's saying to them. Look, look, look up here. This is important. I'm going to send an angel to take you into the promised land. Right? I'm going to send an angel to take you into the promised land. And the question is, well, why send an angel? I thought you were going to take us. And this is what he says. I can't. Why not? Because you guys are terrible. Because you're terrible. Because just because of who you are, I'd have to destroy you. And I don't want to destroy you. And I don't want to destroy you. But what I want you to do is I want you to look at verse, look at verse 12. And what we have here in verse 12, this is, it is not God's desire to destroy us. This is why this conversation is being had. And Moses here is a type of Christ. And what he's doing is he's pleading with God to do what he knows God wants for us. And Moses said unto the Lord, listen to this. See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said, unto them, he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, 
carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separate, I and thy people, from all the people upon the face of the earth. Now look up here. This is exactly what we're seeing in 1 Peter. I want you to keep your hand here because we're going to come back to Exodus. Keep your hand here. Turn back to chapter 4 and verse 14. Go back to verse 13. Go back to verse 12. I mean, it's got a colon and a comma, right? Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Listen to this. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Here's what this is, this is so wonderful. Here's what this is pointing out. The same thing that Moses was pleading for. Lord, if you're not going to go with us, there's no sense in going. There's no sense in living the Christian life without the power of God. Do you understand? What's the difference? Listen, uh, listen, please hear me. This is so important. The average church in America believes that the difference is their church. That's not the difference. The difference is God. The only difference that matters is God. The only thing that people around us need to see is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the only thing they need to see. Do you understand? It's such a wonderful truth. During the fiery trial that we are all going to experience, during each and every fiery trial that we are all going to experience, listen, the glory of God rests upon us in the same way that the glory of God rested upon the Israelites as they went from place to place. Here's, I mean, honestly, this is really what it's supposed to look like. And I know it's going to sound so weird in a sense, but this is what it's supposed to look like. I'm supposed to watch Kenny walking around, and I'm supposed to see the glory of God in Kenny as he walks around. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? But listen, what does that look like? And here's what it looks like. When they saw it in the Old Testament, it was a physical thing. And what we see now, what we see in the New Testament is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, right? So again, here's what happens. Kenny is buffeted. Kenny is hammered. Kenny is, going, Kenny is going through terrible difficulty. And what do I see? I see a difference in Kenny's life. And what I see in that difference is this, the glory of God. The glory of God abiding on Kenny. The glory of God abiding in Kenny. That's what we see. Do you see this? Listen, I'm telling you, this is such a tremendous victory that God has for each and every one of his children. During... Um, I go see a lot of people in the hospital. I see a lot of people, especially when the pastor comes into the room, I see a lot of people use religious terminology because the preacher's in the room. I see a lot of people use religious terminology just to talk to the doctor or the nurse or whoever, but this is not what God wants. What God wants is for there to be victory in your life. Do you understand? What kind of victory? What do you suppose, what do you suppose is the most, um, the most rare form of victory in hospital? to the nurses and stuff that come in. And this is the answer. Peace. Peace, right? Here's the news, Kenny. And it's not good, right? I'm looking at your chart, son, and here's the news, right? And you're hearing the news with your loved one. Now, let me say, look, please hear me. 
I'm not telling you that God wants you to pretend that this is okay. He doesn't want you to pretend that this is okay. He wants you to know that this is okay. Right? I'm only going to be here for a little while anyway. Right? I'm only going to be here for a little while anyway. Does it really matter? Again, I know I've said it before, does it matter whether it's cancer or a bus that takes me out of here? Right? I mean, getting hit by one, not getting on one and riding on it. Right? Does it matter? Does it really? Listen, hear me. This is so important. God, God is not asking any of us to pretend. God wants us to be experience the peace and the joy and the love. So that when we're going through, whether it be a physical difficulty, a financial difficulty, an employment difficulty, it doesn't matter what it is. And here's the, here's the worst kind of difficulty it is, right? When we're hurt by those that we love. When people that we love hurt us. That's the hardest thing to go through, isn't it? When you're hurt by somebody that you love. When you're hurt by somebody you didn't expect to hurt you and you're hurt by them. And here's the question, hear me. Can you have victory during that? Yes or no? See, you can. You can. Can you have victory? And the answer is no. Right? Not by myself. Not left to my. How many of you know? How many of you have tried? Right? How many of you have seen the attack coming and said, I will do better this time than I did last time? Right? You can just ask my wife whether I'm good at that or not. Right? I can see it coming. I can know it's coming and do poorly. Right? But here's what I have found Jesus doesn't do poorly. The Holy Ghost, right? That, that glory of God on me does not do poorly. And this is the tremendous victory that God is giving us right here. What he is saying here is this. I want you to have this glory. Now, what I, now go back to, for just a moment, if you would, to Exodus chapter 40, the very last uh, chapter of Exodus. What, he, what, what Moses just said is, we want you to go with us. We want your presence to be the difference. It's the only thing that's going to matter. If you're not going to go, we don't want to go. Now, what I want you to see is this. Let's go back to chapter 40. And I want you to go to the end of verse 33. Chapter 40, the end of verse 33. You can go to the beginning of the beginning of the, 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 the beginning of verse 33 if you want to. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So what is he talking about? Somebody say it out loud. What's being, what's being built here? The tabernacle, right? This is the completion of the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle is now finished. What happens when the tabernacle is finished? Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And what? And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yes? Isn't, isn't that wonderful? And guess what? This glory was going to follow them everywhere from now on. This glory was going to follow them everywhere from now on. This is what God is showing us. Now you can turn back. I just want you can write that down so you can come back there and look at it again later if you want to. But now I want you to go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're almost done. 1 Peter chapter 4. Now I want you to read, and I want you to see this. I want you to see this, reading this again, but I want you to see this in light of the glory that we we're just talking about. Verse 14. And I'm going to keep reading, so just keep following. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part he is evil spoken of 
but on your part, he is glorified, right? Your testimony is Jesus is the reason I have victory right now. They may say he doesn't even exist. They may say that's nonsense. You just happen to get a good report from the doctor. They may say all kinds of nonsense. It doesn't matter. You know the difference. You understand where the victory came from. You know why you didn't act the fool. You know why you didn't respond and hurt somebody else. You know how this happened, and you know God is the one that did it because the glory of God rests upon you. And thank God for that. And then he says this. Boy, doesn't this make this more and more, this makes it so important in my life, in your life, true, if you would enter into this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Don't let us suffer for being wrong. Don't. Don't let us hurt one another. The power of God is available for us to not hurt one another. And, and I have experienced this victory. Many of you, most of you probably have experienced this victory. I'm telling you, if you watch, if you, you can be a mature Christian and walk after your flesh and you will hurt people. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how many great, awesome things God has done in your life. If you walk after your flesh, you will hurt people. Now look up here for just a moment. I am often... Uh, I'm not often. I am almost daily surprised by somebody who's upset with somebody else. Do you know what they did? And this is my, I could answer their question without listening to the rest of their story. This is, their, this is the answer to their question. They walked after the flesh, didn't they? They sure did. Boy, it's a good thing you never do that. Right? Right? It's amazing to me how we, when we walk after the, the flesh, this is our response. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have walked after the flesh. But pastor, they need to get in trouble for walking after the flesh. Right? God help us to be rescued from this. Now listen, let me say this. It is not okay that I walk. Really, no, here's the problem. My walking after the flesh is not incidental. It's not. It is not okay that I would walk after the flesh. But, and when I do, I will hurt my wife, my daughter, the one that lives at our house right now. I will hurt you as a, as a pastor. All of this is true when we walk after our flesh. But listen, when your brothers and sisters fail recognize that they walked after their flesh. Yes? And you can have victory even if they walked after their flesh. Now, let's go back and look at what that says. Is there, is there any passage that says this, maybe, in the context of the, of the chapter we're in right now? Let's go back to verse 8, maybe. Let's go there for just a moment. Let's read verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Okay? Let's see what it says. Maybe. Just look at it together. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. It, it, look up here. Now again, we're in the context still of being in the church in, the, in this passage, yes? So this is what it says. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. How many sins? Multitude. Wouldn't it be nice if there were no sins? I and mean, I said it at the beginning of our message, right? Wouldn't it be nice if when you went to church, nobody ever hurt anybody, right? Now, let me say this. If, you heard, if you're hearing this part of the message and you're thinking, it's okay that I hurt everybody. Because after all, they're supposed to forgive me. You've got a problem. I mean that. You've got a problem. If you think that lasciviousness is okay because your brothers and sisters will forgive you, you don't understand the power of God. You don't understand how much you hurt everybody when you do things that are selfish. But the point is this, above all things, 
have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This is what God wants to accomplish. And by the way, this is what the world around us needs, yes? Doesn't matter whether you watch CNN or Fox News, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter which channel you watch, somebody's angry at somebody else, over and over and over. It seems like all the news is anymore is these people are terrible or these people are terrible. None of, listen, is there any place where people can go and see charity, fervent charity? And the answer is Christians, people who are truly born again. This is the power of God. This is what the world needs in the age in which we live. It's gonna, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. Not gonna, I don't think it's going to get better. I would love for it to get I'd love to be wrong. I would love for, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the United States of America to truly repent of her wickedness, to begin to love one another, to begin to care for one another, to begin to help one another. I would love for that to be true. I really, really would love for that to be true. I don't know that it's going to be, though. But I do know this. If it continues in the way that it's going right now, we still should love them. We still should help them. And the power for that to happen is very clearly given to us right here. Yet, verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him, what's it say? Glorify God on this behalf. I'm going to close here for right now. And I want you to think about this. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Be willing willing to walk with Jesus and then be be willing to suffer because you walk with Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. You don't have to be. He's not worthy of being ashamed of. I'm worthy of being ashamed of. You understand? I can understand you being ashamed of me. I can understand you being ashamed of Tidewater. I can understand us being ashamed of each other. There's no reason to be ashamed of Jesus. Never. Just walk with him. Just walk with him. And as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men. Right? They, they treat you poorly. You don't have to fight with them. You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to treat them poorly back. And the victory to not do so is in this book that we just read. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know. Lord, how, does, how do we go from agreeing with this to having this? Lord, each and every one of us simply have to humble ourselves in our own hearts and say, Lord, that's, that's not true in my life as it needs to be. Or I'm thankful that it is becoming more and more true in my life. But Lord, I ask you that you'd cause us to lay hold of just what the passage said, just what the Word of God says, that we would realize that the glory of God is to fill this place, not just the building that we're in, but the people that are in it. And wherever we go, wherever Kenny goes, as I was saying, wherever he goes, the glory of God should go with him. Wherever I go, the glory of God is to go with me. Now, Lord, I know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. I know that you're always going to be with us. But, Lord, I don't know that the glory is always visible. And when we're walking after the flesh, it is not visible. Instead, it's a far terrible thing to see. Lord, I ask you that you'd bless us, that we would care as we should. Bless us, Lord, as we have whatever conversations we're about to have. Everybody, Lord, as they get up and walk out and they talk to each other, they talk in the hallway, they talk in the vestibule, they talk in the parking lot. Lord, they go to the restaurant and sit down and talk with each other. Lord, they go to their houses. Whatever conversations we have, Lord, we ask you that you'd bless us, that you would minister in our hearts, and we thank you so much for such a great love. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.